Amen. Well, welcome back to church. If this is not your first time, if it is your first time, welcome to Grace City. My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm so glad that you guys are here. I hope this is a great first experience for you, if it is your first day. We started last week with a new series that we're calling Why Church? And we're spending four weeks looking at questions that the world is asking about the church. If you haven't heard these questions, just give it a minute. Be, st- be silent, be still, and listen to people around you. Listen to things that are going on uh, in the news, and you'll see that people are asking questions about the church, the existence of the church, the, the goodness of the church, or the value of people still being involved in and invested in a local community of Christian believers. So we're taking an honest look at these questions, and maybe you're asking questions like this. But last week we looked at a couple different questions, like, for instance— Does the church still have a place in an ever-changing world, right? Our church is kind of a timeless truth based on the Bible, uh, and yet everything around us is constantly changing, constantly progressing, if you listen to to some. And so we have social norms that change from time to time, and certain moral codes that change, and we have more access to everyone's opinions and ideas. And so in that kind of uh, type of world, does... uh, a community like the church that's based on this timeless truth of the Bible still have a valuable place to be. And if, this, if that's the case, then which church is the right church? Like, is there room in Jackson for Grace City Church? There are a ton of churches in this, in this town. There are several churches in this community. Is there still a place for us? And to be honest with you, is there a place for Grace City Church in your life? Like, is this the right place for you to be all in? Because if you're going to be involved in a church, I hope you know this, To be involved in a church should require some level of commitment or investment. I I would hope that you would never want to be the kind of church attender that just attends when it's convenient or you have the time or just kind of feels right or you're well rested on a Sunday and you have nothing better to do. I mean, I hope that being a part of a church uh, that you would choose to engage in a way that, that you could both contribute and pull from kind of a regular, ongoing relationship with other people who share a faith, or at least are exploring a faith together. And that's really what this is all about. What we saw last week is that the Bible makes very clear that the church, the the collection of believers in a particular place at a particular time, is really God's chosen primary instrument for connecting a lost and broken and hurting world with a loving forgiving, amazing God. Like that is our responsibility. He is counting on and planning to use people like you and me who have found life in Christ to make that plea to the rest of the world, to tell them, be reconciled back to your creator. You're never going to be good enough. Your life is never going to satisfy, but God has something greater. And so be reconciled, fall into and surrender to the truth of scripture and what God says about who Jesus is and what he did for you. And we do that with the way we talk and the way we act and we're making those pleas everywhere we go, really at every moment of the day. But that is our job. So if we've tasted the kind of life that God wants to provide for us, then now we're ambassadors and we are representing God and Christ to the world around us, making that plea. Well, this week we're going to look at another reason that the church exists. One of the things that we make a really big deal about here at Grace City, and that is this idea that life is not meant to be experienced alone. That this lone wolf mentality really is not a mentality that was born into our design as much as it might be something that is picked up based on the influences and the culture around us. We just sang this song, I'll Never Walk Alone. And rightfully so, that is a worship song that we're singing to God, acknowledging the fact that no matter where we go, even if we are alone physically or we feel lonely, that we can count on God's presence to be with us there. And that is 
absolutely fundamentally true, and the Bible is clear about that. But God didn't just create us for relationship with himself. He also created us for relationship with other people. In fact, he designed us to live our lives and to go about our daily lives in the context of a community or a tribe or a group of people, your crew, if you will, that you can count on and go through the, li- the ups and downs of life with. So, so that's why the church exists, to help us find and build that kind of community. Uh, there was a study done in 2021 that confirmed kind of a theory that was posed back in the 90s about the idea of how many, the question of how many meaningful relationships, social relationships, one can have at any given time. And believe it or not, after studying this for over 20 years, uh, anthropologists, psychologists kind of came together and they decided that any given human can have about 150, maintain 150 social relationships at any given point in time. Now that doesn't mean you're going to have 150 best friends, obviously. There are certain categories that those 150 fit into. So some may be your core people, your spouse, your best friend, right? Your, those, those that you really do everything with and confide everything in. Others might be like the UPS guy that's making a daily Amazon delivery to your house. You know, you know him by name, you leave out a, a bottle of water because it's hot outside, or your favorite barista at whatever coffee shop you go to. Like, you know a little bit about each other. Like, the more you spend time with, they certainly know what your order is because you go there every day. Maybe they're asking you about your kids that you have in the back seat from time to time. So it's more of a shallow, surface-level relationship, but it is a social relationship, and that would go into that 150. Beyond that, it's very tough. Now, there are some who are just crazy gifted relationally, and they can maintain even more. I think Dr. Weeks is in that particular category. Like, you can't step onto campus without everybody knowing who Dr. Weeks is, and he knows everything about him. It's, like, amazing, right? It's just like a a miracle of God's design. But most people, normal people like you and me, 150 is it, okay? And, And so questions that I've had this week as I've been preparing this is, like, if you have 150 of those that you can maintain, how many of those should be a part of your church, How many of those should be people that you attend church with, that you are are a part of the same body of believers that choose to join together on a weekly basis? Or or another question is, is that something you actually want? Do you want to have part of that 150 uh, associated with your church? I would hope so. If If the answer to that is no, I think you should probably find another church. But like, you know, I mean, my hope is that you'd want some of those people. Or does the idea of just doing life together with other people, does that just kind of creep you out? I mean, are you truly a lone wolf? Like, you're like, man, I kind of got this thing figured out for myself. You know, I've been single for a while. I kind of did that thing before while I was in community. Or maybe you've been married and it didn't work out. And so you just kind of put your head down and you're just kind of charting your own path based on your life experience and maybe your preference. My hope I can convince you of today is that that is not actually built into your design and that's actually not best for you. So when we think about biblical community, most people think of one particular passage in the New Testament. We actually studied this passage back in the spring as we were making our way through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. But biblical community is seen three primary places in the Bible. The Old Testament tells the story of the Israelites that started with Abraham back in Genesis, and we know the whole story of Moses and them being together in Egypt, led out of Egypt through the wilderness. Joshua led them into the promised land, and then the whole rest of the Old Testament kind of tells the stories of their ups and downs, their relationships with one another and their relationship with God. And we see all of the dynamics at play of a typical community. We also see that in Jesus's disciple group. So the 12 that he kind of combined together and brought together to do life together for two or three years. We see the way that they relate to one another and their ups and downs and the way they work together well and, and are at odds with one another from time to time. 
all of the things that you might experience with the community around you. But the passage that I was referring to at first is found at the end of Acts chapter 2, right? And it's the description of the experience of the first church, the first group of Christians post-resurrection, Jesus going back to heaven, right? And so they've kind of come together and they're like, we have this thing in common. By the way, nobody really likes us right now, or at least they've targeted our leader, the one that formed this community, was just put to death on a cross. And so now we might be targeted. And so they found this kind of unity, this bond together. And what we read is their experience. Starting in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they write this. In Luke's writing this, he kind of describes it. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These six verses at the end of chapter 2 of Acts kind of describe the experience that if you were a member of the first church there in Jerusalem, right after Jesus had gone uh, back to heaven, right, and Peter had made this amazing kind of sermon there at the end of chapter 1, people were being added to that, and they're starting to experience life together. This is the experience you would have had. It's an amazing experience. As we look back through, I want to read it one more time and just look at some of the things that they experienced. Look at all the things. It says that they were filled with awe which means they were amazed at the things that were happening. They were like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. Many in wonders and signs were being performed. They were firsthand witnesses to miracles. They were seeing things happen that they couldn't explain. They keep saying, saying, they held all things in common. They had this bond, this unity that was true about them. It says here in verse 46, it said they had joyful and sincere hearts when they were eating their food. Their hearts were filled with joy. They were sincere, which means they were genuine with one another. They were transparent about their experience. It said they enjoyed the favor of all the people, which means even from the outside looking in, people saw them as a community that was, that was a good community to be part of. They were attractive even to outside. Maybe even to people who didn't believe the same things. Just their experience together was attractive. Maybe you've had an experience like that where you look at a club or a group or a, or a group of friends and you're like, man, I just wish I was a part of that. They look like they have so much fun together. You know, like you'll be scrolling through your Instagram and like these families like vacation together and stuff. It's like, why can't I be a part of it? You know, something like that. That's how the outsiders were looking at the first church. They were looking at them saying, man, that looks so good. And then to top it all off, it says every day the Lord added to their number, which means they were an effective community of believers, right? Jesus had just given this in, them these in instructions to go and make disciples, to tell their story in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They were ambassadors. They had their marching orders, and they were effective in the way they were living bringing other people into relationship and the communion with God. And so that was their experience, right? And as I mentioned before, who wouldn't want an experience like that? But the truth is there are some, maybe even some of you sitting in here today, that that doesn't really all that sound that appealing to. Again, because you've grown up in kind of a Western culture in a particular time where we've put a lot of emphasis on individualism. 
and the idea that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or the idea that we can achieve and we can like leave a legacy for ourselves and for our family. It's a very single-minded, solo, siloed mindset. Lone wolf, I'm going to say several times, just, that's kind of the way we're, we're trained. That's just kind of it. Like, so we'll go do things with people and then we'll retreat back to our own homes and, and, and our deepest thoughts we never share with anybody else. And so what I hope I can show you in two more passages this morning is that's actually not the way we are designed to live. So starting in Genesis chapter 1, you know this is the particular story of, of God creating everything day by day. And he gets to the sixth day and he creates humans. And it says this, it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now the first thing that you may have seen before or been taught before is that right here when God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, using this kind of plural, more than one kind of pronoun, is, is obviously um, meaningful because it's, it's referring to God and the Trinity of God, as you may have heard it described, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, you see the Trinity at work in creation. I think it's verse 2 that talks about how the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters as the world is dark. If you go to John chapter 1 or in Colossians, you'll read that even Jesus, the Son of God, that we typically know as the one who kind of got the disciples and died on a cross, was active in creating the world. Nothing was created that wasn't created through Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, John writes. And so we know that Father, Son, Holy Spirit have existed eternally forever. One God, three persons, mind-blowing. I don't have the time to explain it. All right? But that's who our God is. And what you need to know is that the Trinity of God, if you will, the fact that God is three persons means that God exists in community unto himself. He is a relational being. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have unique relationships with one another. And because we learned that God created us in his image, we too were created to be relational beings, right? We were built for relationships. And the abundant life, kind of tying back to last week, we're discovering this life, this abundant eternal life that Jesus came to give us. This abundant life that God wants us to experience, I, this is going to be maybe controversial, maybe not. I don't believe you can access or, or experience the best of abundant life that Jesus came to offer outside of a community of believers. I don't think you can experience it on your own. I don't think your relationship just with God is going to be as meaningful as God created you for, to experience. He wanted there to be a relationship with him and a relationship with others. Everything in the Bible talks about experiencing your faith in the context of community. So outside of community, that abundant life is going to be unavailable. We were created to experience this kind of abundant life with God, but in the context of a group of believers around us. And I believe the reason that we've fallen into the trap of believing that we can do it on our own or experience Christianity on our own outside of a local church or outside of a, a biblical kind of spiritual community is this idea of a personal relationship with God. That's kind of a novel concept, but over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the American church, the Western church, has placed a lot of emphasis on one's personal relationship with God. Like, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. And by the way, I think that's true. Like, I think a saving faith is a personal faith. In other words, you're not going to get to heaven and meet your maker and, and get into heaven, if you will. Your salvation is not contingent on your parents' faith 
or your church's faith or any other group of people that you surround yourselves with faith. It's going to come down to where you stand in light of the fact that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness and accepting or denying the fact that Jesus died to provide you with that forgiveness and that reconciliation. That you've surrendered to the lordship of Jesus of your life. That is a personal decision that every single one of us need to make. But the experience of our faith, the living out and walking out of our faith was never meant to be done in this lone wolf kind of siloed personal sense. So you're not going to hear me really harp a lot on your personal relationship with God. You're never going to see the Bible really harp on a personal relationship with God. Whether it's the New Testament in kind of this context of the, the Israelites or the, Old, or the New, I'm sorry, the Old Testament in that, or the New Testament where Paul writes to all these churches, and every time he says you, which we translate in English, is actually more of a you all, or if you're from Texas, a y'all kind of thing that you would read in the original language. It's always given to a group of people and not a solo person. The only person only few letters that you'd see where Paul writes like personal letters, like to Philemon or to Titus or to Timothy, right? Those are personal letters. Every other letter to every church is written to a group of people, and the instructions are meant to be lived out in that community of people. And so that's our design. That's what God created us to do is to be to live in relationship with one another. And God also knew that that lone wolf mentality or doing life on our own is bad for us. Look at what he wrote in chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. We read this, we know he created Adam first and recognized there wasn't a suitable helper for him. All these animals, you can be a great animal person, but that's not who God created you to be in community with, all right? So I know you call your pets your babies and stuff like that, and that's between you and the Lord. But God created you for humanity with other human beings, all right? This is like a Dr. Doolittle thing here. All right, so you have friends, you have family, you have coworkers, you have neighbors. That's the community that God created you to do life with. So he says, I will make a helper corresponding to him. You see, we need to understand that we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually hardwired by God for relationship with other human beings. And the medical community has actually figured this out. I love it when, like, science discovers something, and then all along you can look back and go, oh, yeah, well, God told us that was the case, right? So over the last 10, 15 years, you may have heard of this, there's an epidemic called loneliness. It's an epidemic, and COVID has only made it worse. Over 50% of people, the last study I saw in 2021, said 54% of people polled said that they feel lonely more often than not. That's more people than not feel lonely. That is an experience that they have most of the time. That is crazy. Four out of 10 people in that same study said they have no meaningful relationships at all. And that was described as they don't really know someone and no one else really knows them. 40% of the people that you interact with on a daily basis, that is their experience. We know that we are more connected than ever, and yet we feel more alone than ever. And it's not just social media. I'm talking about like the cell phone, right? Like I'm old, right? Some of you guys are old enough to remember when you had to pay for long distance phone calls, right? You can FaceTime grandma, grandpa anytime you want. Now, when I was growing up, it cost us 25 cents a minute to call mama and papa, right? And based on your budget, you didn't do that. So you didn't have the access to the number of people and, and all the conversations and all the relationships that can be built like that. We have access to connect with any, pe any person around the globe at any particular time, and yet we are more alone than we've ever been before. There is a problem, and I believe it is this cultural magnetic pull toward individualism and really charting out a life for yourself or maybe just this small little group around you that has contributed more to that than anything. Doctors have started saying that loneliness is actually more dangerous for your health than obesity, smoking, 
a lack of access to health care, and even physical inactivity. In fact, they put a number on it. They said loneliness is the same thing as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, who's going to go out and tell a friend, hey, you know what you should start? Smoke 15 cigarettes a day. None of us are going to go give that advice to a friend, right? And yet people all the time kind of give us hints and insight to the fact that they're lonely, and you know what we say to them? You should make some friends. You should get out more. I mean, we're so flippant about that. And yet what people are sharing with us, maybe even subconsciously, is that they are in danger of of physical health, that there is something deep and missing in their life. And believe it or not, if they're sharing that with you, you can maybe do something about that. So if you understand that this is our design and that loneliness is not good for you, you might ask the question, well, then how? How do I go about building the kind of community that the Bible describes? How do I go about meeting people who I can know and they can really know me? And I'm going to take you right back to Acts chapter 2 because I believe there's an example here and something to be learned from that passage of the description of the first church. But rather than looking at the things that they experienced, I want you to look and see what they devoted themselves to. It says right there at the beginning of verse 42, they devoted themselves to. Devoted there is this word of like a steadfast, stubborn, walking in the same direction no matter what. Thinking about like getting home in the middle of a blizzard when the snow is pouring and the wind is in your face and you're just adamant that you're going to get there before you die of being frozen to death. You know, and that kind of, of conviction, that kind of steadfast momentum in a particular direction, that is what devotion is. So the early church, they were devoted, they were committed to, they were going to persevere and they were committed to these things. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were always going to be fed, and they were always going to be be learning about what Jesus had taught the apostles. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to spending time with one another and hanging out and getting to know each other outside of maybe the church context. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. That's both a communion and a meal. And oftentimes those two were interchangeable, that when they would have a meal together, they would remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were devoted to prayer, it says, and praying for one another. This just in. If you dislike your spouse, and I just, I'm just going to say it, okay? I don't because my wife is lovely. But if you do, if your spouse is not as lovely as mine, the best thing you can do, not for them, although it will benefit them, but for you, is pray for them. I believe it is impossible to continue to dislike somebody that you're praying for. Because you see, it's not that you're praying that God would change them, but there's something about appealing to God on behalf of somebody else that changes the way you see them. And that's why they were able to experience the things because they were, they were devoted to praying for one another. And so they fell in love with each other even though they may not have been lovable. Like on, the, on its face, you may meet somebody and you're like, ah, that's just not my kind of guy. That's just not my kind of person. My challenge would be pray for them for 10 days and see if maybe they're a little bit more like your kind of person 10 days from now than they are right now when you meet them for the first time. A first impression is very important. I get that. But don't let a first impression that somebody has on you rob you of the opportunity to let that person maybe become a significant piece in your life or a significant relationship that God wants to use in your life. Other things they were devoted to, it says, they sold their possessions and property and they distributed the proceeds. They were devoted to generosity. They were devoted to sharing their resources with one another, to making sure that if you're a part of this group, we're not going to let you go without It says that every day they were devoted to meeting together daily. They broke bread from house to house. So they weren't just eating meals. This wasn't, hey, what are you doing on Friday night? Let's meet up at. 
This was, hey, Friday night, I'm bringing pizza to your house. Or, hey, why don't you come to my house? Or, hey, I got nothing in the refrigerator, but if you come over here, we can drive together. This is saying, my house is dirty, come over anyway. They were devoted to being in each other's lives in a really profound way that I don't think we can understand in 2022. But that was their experience. By the way, about 80% of the world still lives this way. But you and I don't, which is why it's hard. And then finally, it says, obviously, these are the things they experienced. But I think, that, I think the reason they experienced what they did is because they chose to devote themselves to the things that they did. So you see, I think that we are, our products and our experience anyways is a product of the things that we devote ourselves to. And so I don't know that this is a formula that we should take all these five or six things that they devote themselves to. Every church should do this exactly the way. But I will say that if your life experience isn't up to what you think or hope or, or, or thought it might have been at one point, it might be worth your time taking a step back and going, what am I devoted to? What are the things that I'm stubborn about being true in my life? What are the things that I fight for? What are the things that even when I don't feel like it, I'm still going to do it? Because those things are going to, to pave the way to the kind of experience that your life is going to have. And if you want to have the kind of experience that God has designed you for, you're going to have to find yourself devoted to the right things, to, to the right times, to the right people, and to the right things that you do with those people. And I think you're going to have to be proactive because this isn't going to happen by accident. Listen, you're not in elementary school anymore. All of us can look back at elementary school, or most of us can, anyways. I don't want to say all of us, but most of us can probably look back at elementary school and think about five or six friends, and like, you knew everything about them. They knew everything about you. Like, they were, they were your tribe, your community. Like, y'all were inseparable. Kind of like the, the guys in the sandlot, the movie that we watched a couple weeks ago, right? Like, that's, that, we look back on that. And I just challenge you, like, why is that true at that particular time in your life? Why was that true? I think the reason that was true is because of the things that you were doing in your life. But here's the deal. At seven or eight, you're not intentionally choosing those things. You're in school every day with the same people. If you're in the same school, it's probably because you live in the same neighborhood, which means you're not only going to school with them from eight to three, but you're going home, getting a snack, and going back out in the playground or the yard or the front, por- front yard, whatever. If you were my fan, you were playing baseball until the lights came on, until about seven, 7.30, and then you came back in. Then on the weekends, you're making plans to sleep over at somebody's house, and they're coming to your house, and you're all doing birthday parties together. You're playing on the same teams. A lot of times you go to the same church, and then it's just miraculously what happens. Oh, they become your best friends. If you look back on that, doesn't it make sense why you experienced that kind of intimacy with those people? Why you can look back at maybe elementary school or, or high school or, or college and that group of friends and go, we were so close. Why can't I find that now? It's not because you're 35 now or 45 now. It's because you're not intentionally choosing the same things that just were natural and happening at that particular time in your life. As an adult, you're going to have to be more proactive. You're going to have to make a decision that says, I don't even like these people, but I need community, and so I'm going to show up. You're going to have to join a community group of people that you think are annoying, is all get out. And if you don't think any of them are annoying, as a friend of mine always says, that means you're the annoying one. If there's not an oddball in your group, you see them in the mirror every day, because every group's got an oddball. So you're going to have to, you're going to, have to choose, you're going to have to devote yourselves to the right things. And the questions I have for you this morning as you think about it is, what value could be added to your life if you invested in community? Maybe you're a lone wolf. You like your private time. Like you'll use the, the crutch of, I'm an introvert. That's okay! This isn't an introvert versus an extrovert thing. This is God designed you for a community thing. This doesn't mean you have to be around a lot of people a lot of time. Like you can still have your 
personal time and your alone time. I think that's important. By the way, even extroverts really like that. But this is like, I'm not going to do my whole life only, and this isn't a selfish or a self-centered thing. I'm just going to allow myself to get involved in the life of other people a little bit deeper and a little bit more uncomfortable than I thought I would before. I'm going to let people in just a little bit deeper. I'm going to ask deeper questions and I'm going to give deeper answers. So when somebody asks you, how's your day going? Rather than just saying, great, I'm actually going to be honest. Right? You're going to do that whole, like, I'm just going to be honest. Somebody asks me how my day is, like, you got 10 minutes? I can tell you about my day. Or do you want the 30 second? It's going fine. You're going to have to be willing to step a little bit deeper into those relationships. Get a little awkward, get a little uncomfortable. But the reason you do it is because the payoff is worth it. The second question is this, what steps should I take to build this kind of community? What are the things that you need to do in order to start building these kind of relationships and going deeper, maybe in the existing relationships you already have, right? What are the things that you can experience together, right? You've known people for a long time, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem meaningful. It doesn't seem deep. Have you gone away overnight with them? Have you taken a trip with them? Have you served together? Have you gone on a mission trip? Have you ever said, hey, we always talk about like sports. We always talk about baking or food. We always talk about our kids. What if you and I just got together on Fridays and like we Googled deep questions for friends or whatever, and we just made our way down the list? Don't do that. That'd be weird. But like, you know, if you, if, if you need help figuring out deep questions, come and ask me or somebody. I, I can give you some great questions, conversation starters. But you got to be willing to answer honestly. And I promise if you devote yourself to doing that over and over and over, even when you don't feel like it, you will start to develop the kind of relationships that are meaningful and provide the kind of community around yourself that God designed for you to experience abundant life. All right, as you think about these, I'm gonna invite three people up on the stage. We're gonna have a quick conversation. So please put your hands together for Matt Briggs, Peyton, and Haley Brown. All right, so uh, I'm gonna let you guys get a little bit closer over here. We were so far away a second ago. I just messed everything up, but I feel like I can do that. All right, there we go. All right, so uh, most of you guys know Matt. Matt's our executive pastor of ministries. He kind of oversees most of the staff, and uh, he also oversees our community group ministry. And then Peyton and Haley actually lead our young adult ministry. Kinda, they're the deacons over that ministry. So they both lead a ministry where community is a really big thing, and then they also are in a community group as participants and, and contributors and things like that. And so I thought it'd be great to get them together and ask a couple questions, and thankfully I put this back in my pocket. So um, real quick, let me just ask you, let me start with you, Peyton and Haley, because uh, I just kind of introduced you guys as leaders of a group in which community is built, but also people that are in a community group. So I know you well enough to know that every Monday and Tuesday night is booked on your schedule with these two things. And at your stage of life, and you're both professional and all that kind of stuff, like, why do you choose to spend so much time doing that? Like, why is that a priority for the two of you to the level that you're really investing more than, I mean, most people around here in this particular field? Well, I think, I think you said it earlier perfectly. It's not just important, but it's, and I believe exactly what you said, it's not just important, but it's necessary in order for us to experience the Christian life to the full in the way that God has created us to be in community and as he intended it to be. Um, like you said earlier, God lives in community within himself, the Godhead three in one, um, Holy Spirit, God and Jesus, obviously together. If he lives in community, how could we expect not to do the same thing? Because obviously... We are not God. Um, so for us on Monday nights, that's when we meet with our community group, which is young married couples, and we're all kind of in the same life stage. A lot of them are sitting over here. 
And um, we engage in that because, yeah, do we have, um, including them, but do we have young married couple friends that we hang out with outside of Monday nights? Yes. But what's different about that, and probably we should be more intentional in those other times outside of Monday nights, but on Monday night is a time that is set aside specifically to meet together, to, we discuss the sermon, um, and we do prayer requests, and we hang out, and it's intentional. It's different than, like you said, not just hanging out and talking about the new Netflix series or sports that are going on or fill in the blank to whatever that thing is. Um, but that is an intentional time where we are engaging each other and learning more about each other, praying for each other. And in the same way, on Tuesday nights is when we host the Young Adults Group. We are still young adults ourselves, but we have experienced what it's like graduating from college. Um, and Haley will talk about this in a second, but friends dispersing and you get plugged, pulled out of what I guess your comfort space with your friends and, and community and stuff like that. And then you may move or people move away from you and you're just hanging out. Maybe if you're not like most people at Mississippi College who get married the June after graduation, um, you may be a single person who's you know starting med school or grad school or their first job. And the young adult ministry as a whole at, I would, I've only gone to one other church, is a tough ministry. It's hard to feel connected and have authentic connection, especially, like I said, if a lot of your friends moved away. And the Young Adults Group existed before we were a part of it, but we were asked to host. And it's just an awesome way, because we believe how important community is, is for us to host and to provide a venue for the young adults to come together and have community. Um, obviously, we engage in community with those people, but it's a, it's a way for them to come together where we can open up the Word, read it together, talk about it, but also have time, because it's a decent-sized group, to break up into small groups and pray together. Because um, as I was going to read, but I'm kind of talking too long, in James, he talks about um, you know, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another because, it, because there's power in um, the Christian who's praying, basically. Uh, I kind of misquoted that. But um, the reason that's important, and I believe exactly what you're saying, is God has created, and I think there's this, and again, I'm not trying to, I don't, I'm not trying to be... Um, I don't remember what you said, but just saying something that maybe people don't agree with. But um, I believe there is a special power and grace in community that we don't experience outside of community. You know, certain things that I seek prayer for and engage in conversation with, it's just I can't do that if I'm doing it by myself. And we have to have that community, which is why we engage, I guess, three out of our seven days, including today, yeah. in community. Well, and you mentioned something before, Haley. Um, just about like the value that you've found in community. Will you share with them what you shared with the first service about just that, that value for yourself? So um, when I think about community, I think about the word accountability, um, which I said earlier was like, that's kind of a scary word. Um, but I think for me, it just means that I'm not as complacent. So whether that's, you know, talking with others and it's like correcting my wrong view of how God sees me or how I view God, because I feel like Sometimes I can get in my head and I just think everyone thinks that, you know? Um, or if it's um, me just learning how to love others and that are different than me or learning how to receive love from others and then also learning, um, you know, just kind of what my different gifts and talents and things like that are because I feel like you don't know that if you're not serving or if you're not with other people in community. And uh, another question I had, you had a great answer for this, so I want you to share with them before, but can you think of a time when you didn't have the kind of community that you had now? And just like, 
what went into that? Like, how did that happen? And what did you do to try and kind of change that? Like, what did you do to go about trying to build that when you recognized, okay, this isn't what I want? Um, so when I first graduated from college, I went to Louisiana and went to grad school. And when I moved there, I didn't know anybody. And so, um, but I kind of felt like I was going to be okay because I was like, I'll be studying. I was dating Peyton at the time. I felt like I had good friends from college. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of like at my friend limit, you know. I don't feel like I could expend any more energy on anybody else. And so um, through that, I just started, while I was there, I just started feeling really scared all the time. And I guess that's kind of what loneliness felt like to me. And so um, I started going to churches and all that kind of stuff. And I was filling out connection cards. And it was just not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And so I was, um, I felt like I was doing all the things. I was trying to connect with people. Um, but it just wasn't happening as quickly as I thought. And so um, I think that's kind of how... You know, you have to learn to kind of put yourself out there a little bit more and do the uncomfortable things. And then also I think that's how we kind of ended up here at Grace City because whenever we moved back and we were um, trying out churches, we came here and then we started going to this community group. And then a few months later, I was like, oh, I guess we go to Grace City because we just kept going to the same community group. So That's awesome. Uh, so Matt, you obviously recently stepped into like the role of leading our community group ministry, but how would you, without selling community groups, how would you... Why is that important to you? Like I've told you before, I'd be a terrible community group leader. I'm just, that's just not the way my brain is wired. And yet watching you like get excited about putting pop groups together and stuff like that, it's clear that this is something that God has impressed on you spiritually. What have you seen as the benefit to somebody spiritual growth wise when it comes to participating in a, in a community kind of group or in that type of environment? So like, just like Haley and Peyton have, have both said so much better than I will, like one of the best gifts that God gives us in this Christian walk is each other. And so to, to neglect that gift that God has given us is just wrong. And then when we get isolated, man, I don't know if you guys do this, but when you get isolated and you find yourself in these seasons where you may be outside of community, when you're isolated, you can start to spiral, you can start to feel lonely, you can start to go into wrong thinking, you can become depressed or have anxiety because you're just not, like you're just in your own head about stuff. And so I think, you know, our whole life is a spiritual battle and we become isolated, it's really easy to get picked off. And so when you're in a community together, we really believe that that's, that's a way to, to keep from being picked off spiritually. It's a way to be a, uh, to give your life to others. And uh, like Nathan alluded to in the sermon, like when you give your life to others, like you're getting the, gr the great gift of them and they're getting the great gift of you as well. And so um, we just believe that all the way around, that's just how life was meant to be. So how can somebody, like if they want to do that and they want to build and they, Grace City is the place where they want to do that, what kind of steps can they take to do that? So the way that we express that, the way that we feel like community works for us is we express that through community groups. And so those are groups that, that meet once a week or every other week. And those groups are same age, same stage of life, kind of uh, meet together on a regular basis. And like Peyton and Haley were talking about, meet together intentionally to go through a study or go through a Bible study or a video or go through something together intentional uh, to deepen their relationship with the Lord. But more importantly than even that, to deepen their relationships with one another and to uh, study together. And so um, we have all kinds available. We've worked hard as a team to put some of those together for you that hopefully fit some age, some stage of life for you. And if not, we'll make one for you. We would love for you to do that. The Church Center app has a groups tab. You can click that and you can see all the available groups are on there. All the leaders will be back there. 
But uh, after the service today, back at the Connection Center, several of the leaders from all the groups represented uh, will be there, and they would love to meet you. Um, we would love for you to visit a group. Those are going to start the next few weeks. Um, visit a couple if you want to. You don't have to join the first one you visit, but you certainly can. That's what Peyton and Haley did. So, and like, yeah, you can, you can, uh, but you can visit a couple groups, find the one that's right for you, and dive into it. And, uh, and I believe, like Nathan said earlier, like that's going to take an intentional choice from you week in and week out on a regular basis to do that because you know what every Sunday afternoon when it's time for community group you're not going to be excited every time that comes around no matter how great your community group is because sometimes you just feel like you need a nap or you just need to rest or you just need to cut the grass or you just need to do blah 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 to get ready for the week and so like when you give to community when you commit to that group that's going to be an intentional choice week in and week out to give yourselves to to other people and to Make that commitment, and I, and I promise you this, it will be worth it. it may, the, the things that are the, the most worth it, the things that are the most valuable in your life are not always going to be the easiest. And so give your life to community, and I, I promise it's the best gift you'll ever receive. This is why you're running community groups. That was much better than anything I could have ever said. So uh, um, we're not the only church talking about community. If you're a part of a church or been in other churches, this is a big deal. Like, it's, it's written in the Scripture, Old Testament through the end. And some churches do it better than others, but the truth is a lot of it comes down to you and the decisions you make and the devotions you have. And um, we can't make that decision for you. The only thing I can say is your life will be better. Your life will be better if you devote yourself to this and, and take a proactive approach to building community in your life. Something deeper than the guys that watch the game together. Something deeper than the girls that sit around and talk about their husbands while their kids are playing. I mean, whatever. It's got to be a little bit deeper, you know? And um, with that intentionality, I think you're going to see a lot of fruit and, uh, and your life will become much more rich. Uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to talk about something that's just so clear in Scripture that you designed us for, whether it's the nature of who you are or being created in your image. Uh, Father, we were designed with this need for connection, to be known and to know others in a deep and meaningful way. God, we want to know you that way. We know you know us that way. But God, it's, that's, that's not the end. It's, you were created, we were created for community with one another. We can serve together. We can accomplish so much more together. And Lord, you want to use each and every one of us to spur one another, equip and encourage one another, to carry out the work that you started. And God, I believe that's why church exists. That's why we commit. That's why we lean in. And I pray, God, that somebody this morning will just feel that nudge. And the Holy Spirit would speak to them and convict them in a way that they would go out of their comfort zone and do something proactive this week to start experiencing the kind of life you've called us to experience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.